before you cut me off, Mitch, I got to say uh, to both you guys that uh, you guys are doing, this is an awesome podcast. Honestly, it's been, I mean, I try to, you know, catch it when I can. And uh, you guys are doing a really cool thing with this, this concept, to be honest. It's really, I really do enjoy listening to, I mean, obviously the journey of all these athletes. I think it's a great message to young people to see the differences and how, you know, so many people went through some, like they, they're, they're here at the end, but, you know, it's interesting to see the journeys that they go through and it's, it, you forget about where they were as kids. And it's uh, something that's underappreciated, you know, in the podcast uh, sort of genre that you guys are killing it with it. I think it's a great concept and I think uh, there's a lot of benefit there for young people and basketball fans and the stories. But I think the message is there that so many different journeys, you know, to in this game and you guys have really tapped into that. And I think it's, uh, it's really special what you guys are doing and I, I'm really enjoying it and uh, really cool that it's from a friend, Mitch, that uh, is uh, able to bring this uh, to the basketball community. So, you know, great job, guys. Really, honestly, it's uh, uh, from the first one. I thought it was such a cool thing to listen to some of these guys and their stories. And yeah, just an awesome job. Really, really am enjoying it. journey episode 53 with another one of my man d grand a gentleman that i go way back with in the day has carved himself a nice little coaching career and is still working at it would have been his 11th season with the ottawa men's basketball team the ggs a former gg himself um, a former west coaster which i'm sure we'll get into my former roommate former teammate and a good dude who is uh, pushing the game of basketball in our country and doing a great job with his program. We have none other than Mr. James Deruin tonight. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, Mitch. Thanks for having me, man. This is going to be great. Yeah, man. I mean, we've been going back and forth, and you've almost taken the approach like you're just a filler. Like, hey, just let me know when I can fill in. But that is not the case at all. Uh, you were you were on the original roster, and I'm excited to sit down. But there is... You know, you've got kids, I've got kids, well, a kid and a wife. So trying to juggle that and East Coast time and figuring it all out, I'm glad we were able to do it. How's things, man? We were just talking offline, unfortunately, um, Ontario in a tough situation again. And talk about that and where you guys are mentally and sort of how you're getting through it these days. Yeah, it's been quite the ride. You know, I, I joke around sometimes with some friends that like, I think I've gone through three or four midlife crises in the last 14 months, you know, trying yoga and, you know, like meditating in my basement and stuff. And it's like, it's been a, it's been a journey the last uh, 14, 15 months here. It's, uh, we were fortunate enough to get the national championships done, uh, you know, and then I think it was like three days later there, the Rudy Gobert is touching microphones and the world just turns upside down. Right. So, mm -hmm. You know, since then, you know, we've obviously had no basketball here whatsoever. Uh, we've been, uh, you know, doing the best we can. It's been, you know, guys doing workouts on Zoom and dribbling at courts outside and filming it and to, you know, back in the gym with pods to gyms being shut down again. It's been, it's been hard. Um, but I, you know what, I think um, I've been really impressed by my players and by the staff and everybody that, they're holding it together pretty good, man, considering. I don't know how you and I would have done with, 
no basketball and uh, no yeah, man. Uh, social life and uh, everything that goes with university. And, and I don't know how uh, they're doing it, but I, I, like I said, I'll give my guys credit. They, they're doing okay. And um, it hasn't been easy, but, uh, you know, there's bigger problems going on in the world than, you know, missing some basketball. So try to keep For that sure. in perspective. For sure. And like you said, too, you know, two little little kids and you're jokingly but honestly it does help daycare school still being open right it, it still allows that sort of you get some time to breathe during the day and do your own thing and kind of knock some things off you know work wise and individually wise and then you know have family time again so that that there is a little bit of normalcy in that and i think that's been a huge thing for a lot of people that do have families right yeah i mean my kids are at that age they're two and four so i got two boys here and that's 24 hours that's uh, up at six and you know like we're still kicking them back into their rooms at 8 30 9 o'clock at night and they need constant go you know it's uh, mm. when they're around it's uh it's non-stop but uh, also just a total sort of switch from in my life that has been you know a big big change for me and it's been an incredible experience and try to keep that perspective that uh, that quality time has been you know as a coach we're on the road a lot and mm-hmm. uh, practicing in the evenings and recruiting and um, you know I try to look at it that way that I've had you know a year almost you know almost like a sabbatical where I can you know they I get to know these two little guys and you know spend time with them and uh, it, it might even I'm actually to some degree not looking forward to those first weekends uh, back on the road because these two kids don't remember when I was coaching really. Mm-hmm. And now as they've gotten a little bit older, uh, they're going to know when I leave now. So it's mm-hmm. going to, that's going to be tough, but uh, no, it's been, it's been a, you know, it's been a good year that way. And I got to spend a lot of time with my wife and my kids. And that's, that's, well, it's, uh, that's not always, uh, that's a, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Let's say that. <laughs> Don't worry. She's not getting interviewed after this. So right, it's right. a big deal, man. Yeah. She's outside with her ear on the door listening. And, yeah. uh... <laughs> <laughs> Let's get right into it, man. I think you have a great story. Um, I think, you know, you know, you're mocking yourself a little bit offline here, but just in terms of someone who's made themselves a student of the game and, and taken every opportunity to learn and grow through the game and then get yourself into a head coaching position in Canada and an, an elite one in terms of my eyes, like no bias just because you're my boy. But uh, talk to us about young life and little JD running around, sports, life. What was he like and how things started to unfold for you at a young age in sport um, in your life and where you grew up? Well, I grew up here in Ottawa and pretty pretty typical. You know, I mean, as a young boy playing sports 24 hours, seven days a week, uh, you know, out on, you know, back in the day when you left your house and playing street hockey, you know, until the lights, you know, turned on and then you came inside when the lights came on. It's, it's, that was my childhood. I played sports, every sport, you know, from hockey to baseball, to soccer, to hockey. And my parents, uh, my dad, especially, I mean, I think a lot of young male, you know, it's about their relationship with their dad, right? Like it's, it's that connection that uh, my dad was, uh, not an athlete per se, but he was a big sports fan and like football was always on. The Jays were always on. The Expos were always on. And I just drank it up and I, I, I couldn't get enough. I had the wallpaper with the sports. I had the, the magazines, the Christmas books were always, you know, hockey record books. And I couldn't, couldn't get enough of it. You know, obviously growing up in Canada, 
you know, that tends to always end up going one direction. And uh, yeah. that was uh, down the hockey road. I guess around 10, 11, 12, I started to play sort of some high-level hockey here, some AA and AAA stuff. And, you know, again, it's like you could write a book about my life with my dad during that stage. It's like mm-hmm. road trips and 6 a.m. practices and driving through snowstorms and, you know, with your dad, right? And we were together all the time. And, you know, he loved the hockey and he loved that his son was playing at a really high level and it was a lot of fun for a long time. You know what? Like my son. Did, did he coach you or was he just a fan? He always got involved. Like, uh, you know, like my dad's an accountant by trade. So he was always like a stats guy or like, <laughs> a, you know, like the treasury guy or like something. He always was involved. <laughs> Um, but he knew his place. Like my dad is, if you know, most people that know him, he's like super laid back, chill guy, and that he never overstepped his boundaries. And in, in obviously in the hockey world, that's that's pretty rare, right? And so, I mean, I think I think even at times he felt like he was letting me down because he wasn't that guy, you know, raising trouble and you know with the stopwatch on the ice time and all that craziness that goes on in the hockey world. And um, but you know what, like he. You know, I always tell people that, you know, how they always ask me growing up with hockey what it was like. And, you know, I was the guy, like I was playing 12 months a year. I was playing summer hockey, triple A, double A. And people are like, oh my God, that must have been terrible. And I'm like, I never thought about it twice. Like Mm. I loved it. I loved every minute of it. Everything in my life was hockey until about, I would say about 13, 14. And it started to get weird. It started to get competitive without like parents, you know, and staying around for practices and, you know, kids getting cut from teams for guys whose parents knew a guy who worked in the NHL. It got weird, like real fast. And then when I got to grade nine, I was still playing double A here in the city and high school here starts in, in grade nine at that time. And the hockey coach is like, no, you can't play school sports. And I was like, what? Like, what? Like, and they're like, well, if you're playing double A hockey, you can't you can't play on a single school team. That's when start, things started to change. At that age, it was minor bantam here, and the level of commitment versus the enjoyment was starting to shift. You could see it in my dad too that he wasn't having fun with it anymore. The parents were just out of control, and you could see that his son wasn't having fun anymore. And after grade ten, I decided to just hang it up and talk to my dad about it, and he's just like he was. 100% on board by then. He's like, this isn't fun for you. This isn't fun for me. And I know that was really hard because that was what we did together, right? And so I think from there, um, around that time, grade nine, grade 10, I started to play basketball a little bit more. This is 1990, right? So this is like, Careful now. Jordan is just like everywhere, right? Yeah. Like Sports Illustrated covers. I'm stealing Sports Illustrated covers from the dentist office and posting them on my walls. And, you know, like, um, and it's just basketball and hip hop music, you know, Snoop's like on the scene around this time. And like hip hop is just like exploding everywhere. And, and basketball came into my life at that time. And crazy story. Like I tried out for the, which would be the equivalent, like the, the club team here, which would be mm-hmm. like double A hockey. And, and I'm grade 10 and uh, the coach there, Brian White, who a uh, big time mentor of mine and was a, just a great community guy here, great coach. And he, um, I don't make the team. Like I, I've literally just stopped playing hockey a year ago and picked up basketball for, for fun. And of course being 
probably about five, six at the time. And I mean, why not quit hockey, right? And decide to take on a sport where clearly a short little white guy is going to be amazing, (laughs) right? So coach, we called him Brian, uh, and he offered me a redshirt spot. And it was like a totally life-changing moment for me because I had been involved in hockey where there was no opportunities. There was no, you know, there wasn't anything like that. No one appreciated that you got along with the guys or that you were working your ass off or it was, it was a weird environment. So here is this coach who says, look, Nick, you're not any good, but you work, you work, you work hard mm-hmm. and the guys love you. And you know me, like I always took a lot of pride in that. And why don't you stick around and you won't dress in the games, but you can keep stats and you can help us out and you can practice with the team. And honestly, like I, I've been in love with basketball since that moment. Like I, mm-hmm. it was such a 180 from the hockey world. You go to practice, there's no parents there. Like there was, like, you know, like I'm like, where is everybody? You know, and they're like, what do you mean? And they're like, parents wanted nothing to do with basketball. They're just dropping their kids off. Or at that point, you know, we're starting to get our driver's licenses and stuff. And it was so refreshing to be around a sport that, seemed to have that, you know, level of purity that it just was for fun and that, that you got to learn. And Brian was all about, you know, being positive and running scrimmages on off nights when we were, had high school games and being flexible with our schedules. And I ended up making the team the next couple of years and, you know, played in the provincial final against, uh, I think you had Mega on your, on your podcast, right, Steve? Yes, and, Greg Newton was on that team and, you know, like, uh, his dad was sitting across in the gym in a big Duke jacket and it was awesome. Like I, it was amazing. And, and like I said, I'm still doing it today, right? Like I'm still, you know, watching film 30 years later. And, but that was the turning point for me. I, I was immediately like, all those things are happening at the same time. And here's a coach who just throws a kid a bone. And, um, I thought, I just thought that was amazing. It's funny. That's all it takes. And it interesting too, like, good for people to hear you and swordsy kind of similar in, in the you know same similar area lots of hockey heavy level hockey and sort of making the transition to basketball with which what a lot of people would consider to be late right like and i think we've lost that a little bit that like it's okay for kids to make decisions and we don't have to like funnel them down into a path when they're in grade five and things can change and we change like grade 10 is an awkward year for boys man we're awkward as hell like we don't know where we fit in. We don't really know how to like talk to girls or people we're attracted to. We're like kind of in puberty, but not really. We're kind of men, but not really. It's just a weird time. And the importance of mentors is so huge to have that one person sort of quote unquote take the chance on you, but also says something about you too to be able to like recognize that, all right, like it's a bit of a shot to the ego to not have a jersey, but I'm loving this. So I want in, right? So some interesting takeaways from all that. Have you ever processed that actual through your head there? Or was it just something that was instilled from you from your dad and, and time with hockey that you just accept your role and you work at it? Honestly, I, I, I've thought about it a ton because, you know, that moment, you know, to be, you know, it being your profession, people ask, you know, all the time, like, well, how did it come about? Mm-hmm. And even now that I'm back in Ottawa, I mean, my uncle still asked me if I regret quitting hockey. <laughs> Right? Like, as if I would have like had this 20 year NHL career. Right. But no, I process it and I appreciate it. And I take that into my own coaching. You know, Brian was a positive guy in my life and, you know, giving an opportunity to a kid and I appreciated it so much, but it was really about two sports at the time, just in completely different worlds. And mm-hmm. for me to 
you know, there wasn't about hockey wasn't about opportunity for a kid who worked hard. It was about who does your dad, you know, does your dad, did your dad play in the NHL or how tall is your dad? Or, you know, how do you have an uncle and a cousin who, you know, played, you know, in, in the NHL and everything was about <laughs> weird, strange connections. And I, and I, like you said, in grade nine and grade 10, you're 13, 14, 15, you don't understand any of that stuff. Like you just want to play hockey, right? Like, yeah. And so here comes this guy and he just, like I said, it, it wasn't, the, I was like, I was down. Like he was like, mm. do you want to be a red shirt? I was like, I'm in like, <laughs> these were the best basketball players in the city. And like, I wanted to be, I wanted to drink it up. Right. And mm-hmm. it never even crossed my mind. Like I was down from, and maybe that does say something about like, you know, me that way. And mm-hmm. maybe that does say something about me at that time, but really it was about that. It was about a sport that separated the parents and separated the game and an opportunity to a bunch of kids who just love the sport. And that was completely different for me. And like I said, I haven't looked back. So that's pretty, it's a big moment for me. That's cool. You touched on that too. Like basketball is like a good vibe that way, right? Like the one through 12 or one through 15 sort of, there's just something unique about the sport in general and what it can bring, right? It's like, that's a good reflection and never really even kind of processed it that way, but it is super cool. You touched on like provincial championships and stuff. And what was Ontario basketball like at that point? Was it more kind of club based or was it a bit of both? Talking about names like Greg Newton and Mega, like how How was it and what was that experience like? I mean, it must have just kept fueling the fire for you. Yeah, it was. I mean, both were big. I mean, I think BC basketball definitely has it when it comes to high school. I think that there's not a province that really touches that. And even back then, pre, you know, prep schools and stuff like that, like even high school, it will never be as big as um, it is out here, um, but it was big. I mean, it was a balance between high school ball and club ball. Um, I played high school at Gloucester High School, and I played for the Gloucester Wolverines. It's East End, uh, Ottawa stuff. And I had a good high school team, had a couple teammates who went on to play university. And uh, the club team that I played for, the Wolverines, was stacked, stacked, like just with guys that all went on to play university and throughout the country. And and it was it was big, but the difference then versus now is definitely recruiting, right? Like mm. this is 93, 94, 95 and like recruit. Well, there's two differences, one recruiting and then two, you know, you and I, you know, we'll get to that in a little bit, but ended up meeting up in college and which is CCAA. And at the time, you know, I tell people there, people ask me, like, how did you end up at college? And it's like this, if you didn't have the marks, like you went to college. Mm-hmm. That was not even, it wasn't a thing at that time. Mm-hmm. And so Kids weren't getting into university. Kids weren't, you know, you don't have the marks. You go see your guidance counselor or whatever. And they're like, <laughs> you got a 72 and you're like, yeah, you're going to college. You know, I didn't take school as seriously as I should have. And, um, but at the same time, the reason, the reason why I bring that up is because, you know, recruiting, you know, no, no one, there was no websites, there was no rankings. There was, you could end up anywhere. And <laughs> we ended up in college and that was, when college basketball was really at its peak, in my opinion, like the CCAA and the BCAA there with the time was just stacked with guys who would all be playing university ball today, like mm-hmm, up and down lineups, whether it was Langara and, and, you know, Malaspina at the time. And then obviously the Humbers and the Sheridans and like there, there probably isn't a guy on any one of those lineups that's not on a university team today. Mm-hmm. So we all ended up met up in college and, mm-hmm. you know, we we're all the guys that, didn't have the eighties and didn't, you know, weren't on student councils. And those, like, those are the kids that went to university and 
you know, it was kind of known for us that way, right? That was like a league with the smart kids. So I finished high school and ended up out well west. And my family, a bunch of my family had moved out west and I was done with the Ottawa scene and typical young guy, dumb, <laughs> dumb ass thing to do. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but I had a hockey bag full of stuff and I had 300 bucks and I just had a buddy out there in Vancouver and I just packed my bags and got a one-way ticket to Vancouver and, you know, it was the farthest place from my house as I could be and, you know, it and ended up in the, the college system and ended up at Langara. Again, just a really fortunate twist for me. I mean, playing at Langara was one of the coolest things that I've ever done. You know, it was, it was awesome. And, and we had a great program and, you know, I have this down and I'm like, you know, a lot of my influences on how I run my program here at, uh, at Ottawa U is still stems from those days at Langara and what Kevin was able to build there. So I bounced around, I started at Douglas and that didn't work out. Built a reputation as a bit of a head case there at Douglas. Yeah. <laughs> Well-deserved. You know, I think you knew me that way when, when we met up and Kevin certainly let, let, reminded me of that on a regular basis. And But the thing that I remember the most was I ran, I was playing men's leagues and, you know, bouncing around and just hooping wherever I could. And I was thinking about going to Camosun because I had some family in, in Victoria and they weren't, okay, they were bad at the time, let's be honest. And yep. and um, somebody came up to me and was like, you know, you're, you're, you're good. And I was like, okay, cool. And he's like, you can't go to Camosun. You got to go to Langara. Mm-hmm. And that's, if you're good, you got to go to Langara. And like, I didn't know Kev. I didn't know Teresa. I didn't know anything about Langara. I didn't know who was there at the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But this guy was like, there's only one place to play. And that's Langara. You got to go there. You got to play, go play for Kev. And that's something that I always remember because he had built a reputation that people wanted to go there to play without him having to recruit. He certainly did his recruiting and, you know, for the big names like yourself and Randy and those guys. But when he had built a program that people wanted to go to and heard about that, that stuck with me my whole career. Like I was like, that is what I want at Ottawa. Obviously mm-hmm. recruiting is a big part of what we do, but I want kids, I want to build somewhere where kids want to go play and they hear, yo, you got to go, you got to go play here. This is, this is right. the place to play. And that's how it was at Langara, man. That's how I ended up there and just, that's, that was yep. the scene then, and just an amazing group of guys that we got together at that time. Yeah, I want to talk about that. Remind me, though, okay, so 97, 98, where are you at? Are you sitting out? Are you playing? Are you... I'm sitting out. I'm at Langara as a student. Yeah. Yes. And trying to win Kevin over, trying to win you guys over, which like happened much quicker. We should have told you about O. Henry's and Diet Cokes much earlier, right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, we learned. I learned a lot from you, Mitch. <laughs> yeah, well, let's paint the picture though. So, like, we're talking, we're talking like basement suite, Culloden, thirty third Ave. Yep. Two bedrooms, but we turned the third bedroom into a into a third bedroom. It didn't have a window, so it wasn't legally. Yep. Just playing Goldeneye, like so many good times, like painting for Whitford. I never did it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't couldn't stomach it. I just did kid camps, but. uh Yep. You touch on those were like, that's when life was fun, man. Those were great memories. And how many times over the last 
kind of few years since we've sort of reconnected since we see hosted Nats, like how we just had f- the funniest text threads going, just keywords and moments, right? And you do touch on a few cool things as well. And just you're obviously soaking it in early, right? And so is coaching in the back of your mind at this point? Or are you just like, I still, I want to hoop and I want to play with good guys. And this dude at the Douglas, you know, uh, Cap Men's League told me that uh, I should try out for Lang and try to get there. How did that I think that's where I was at at the time. I, I, I hadn't given up on my basketball career and mm-hmm. I wanted to play. And then once I met you guys in 97, obviously, you know, we hit it off. You know, we were all finding ways to move in together and we were partying together and hanging out together and playing together. And we were just around each other all the time, probably too much at the end. But, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, no, coaching hadn't entered my mind. I, I, it's funny you say that because, first of all, in 98, so I, I end up playing on the team that year. You're, you're sitting out, mm-hmm. and I sit down. It's either tryouts or practice, and you guys had won in 97, 98. So mm-hmm. the banner's already up, and I sit down. I can't remember if it was a tryout or if it was practice. or It was one of the first days, and Kevin just points up to the banner, and he's just like, we're winning another one of these. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm in. I'm all in. Like, I had never, like, let's go. Being around somebody at that time with that confidence and with that swagger that he had and that he wanted to win so bad and I was eating it up. And yeah. a combination of a great, great bunch of guys, great team. Like, that team is 12, 13 deep. I'd be confident as a coach, too, right? You come off, I think we were 35 and 3. And then, like, I think we lost to Mal and we lost to two American teams. And then, like, you guys were just, like, people were like, Who's better, 98 or 99? I'm like, 99 was... They beat us by 15, man. Like, come on, 20. Like, that team was stacked. Were you guys 40 yeah. and 2? 40 and 2, yeah. And I yeah. think we averaged 99 points a game that year. And I think we gave up like 65 or something. I think the average margin of victory is 35. And uh, obviously, like, peak Randy Powers. The chemistry there between uh, Jamie, Jamie Wee and, and Randy and, and James Maximew, the three guys that were coming back, um, was just awesome. Randy and Max had grown up playing together. Max, probably one of the most underrated players, probably in For BC, sure. you know, a bit because he's kind of a low-key guy. And when I remember seeing Max for the first time, I was blown away. Like, I, was, <laughs> I had never seen anybody, you know, 6'5", 6'6" big time athlete had the face up game, had the post moves. I was like, who is this guy? (laughs) Like he, like I, you know, and then there, everybody that knew him was just like, ah, that's max, you know? And like, I was like, like, this guy's incredible. And then him and Randy had that high school, you know, vibe together. And then Jamie and Randy had this like incredible sideline break that Kevin designed or, you know, that they had this incredible chemistry together that, Mm -hmm. and then you throw in Richie Bell, who was, yeah. You know, talk about a guy that, you know, obviously emotional there, a friend that we ended up losing later on, but mm-hmm. just an incredible athlete. Like, there's no way a kid like that slips through the cracks, like, in today. Like, he he was incredible. He's our armpit at the rim, man. Like. Yeah. Yep. At what, 6'3 <laughs> and change, maybe, maybe 6'4. And so, you know, and then we, and then the, all the role guys and Tasso and, you know, myself, Gil Chung, who's the head coach of Brandon, obviously, was, was a big part of that team. And Rick Brar and uh, Brent Malinsky, Moses and Minko. Moses. And like Jeffy uh, D. Jeffy, Jeffy D. Yeah. And uh, I think Mark Tasik was like in and out of the, as a redshirt on that team. And he ended up playing at UBC. Like he was a redshirt Crazy, on that man. team. So, I mean, we, we ran the table. And Mal Spina got us twice that year. 
and we were so fired up to play them in the BC final. And then they ended up losing to Caribou or something. And Caribou yeah. threw some one, three, one at them and totally messed them up. And we were so disappointed. <laughs> we were, we want, we were so, I mean, we've ended up, you know, obviously we won the next day. It was great, but we wanted, really wanted Mal and they, they didn't get the wild card and they didn't get to advance. So we have this one blemish that I'm sure anytime that 99 team gets together, like we'd, <laughs> sure like another crack at Lang at uh, Malaspina and obviously at the time that was like Kevin's arch nemesis was like this this Malaspina coach I, and you you probably remember his name but Mark I just Simpson. remember yeah I just remember it. those two was like, like he, when we lost to Mal like I thought like I was pretty much sure that like the world was going to end like <laughs> like I was I was afraid like I was like I we weren't allowed to sneeze in the vans and like it was I, but you know what? Like, like I always say, like that. Uh, Kevin, uh, at that time, I, I loved it. I loved it. I was a competitive guy. You were a competitive guy. We used to get after each other, and and Kev was a competitive guy. And mm -hmm. you know, he pushes it. And there's, it takes special guys to be able to play for him. I think. And I'll be honest, I I drank it up. Like we mm -hmm. we butted heads, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, me and Kev, but. You know, it, in a crazy twist, I end up coming back like, you know, 10 years later and working for him at, at UBC. So it, yeah. uh, I, I loved it. I love my time there. You and I had played together in uh, the year after in 99, 2000. I think we go 35 and five or something like something that. Like that. And so my two years there were like 75 and seven, something yeah. wild. And yeah. um, it, uh, it taught me a lot about how to, how to win, like how to, like we were clowns, but we were so serious about what we were doing. You know, like mm -hmm. I remember like he, like nobody ever had a beer on a weeknight. Like that was like, mm. that was like, yo, what are you doing? Like strict rules. We worked mm -hmm. hard. We had great leadership and, you know, in terms of the guys on the team that Kevin did a great job and we had great staff, like the bees, uh, you yeah. know, Dana was there, the jingle, you know, and the homie, your brother was, was yeah. helping us out and, Clarky was there and mm -hmm. it was just an awesome time. It was a, it was an yeah. amazing experience. And like it there, like I said, like you, if you pay close attention to how we run things at Ottawa, you'll see a lot of the, the Langara thumbprints there all over, all over it. And I take a lot of pride in that. That was a, a special team and a special time for us, man. We obviously Teresa, who's like, was our athletic director, who's Kevin's wife, obviously, and she's the absolute best, right? So, no, it was it was great. And I, you just mm -hmm. look at, like, where everybody's gone from those teams, right? Like, obviously, mm -hmm. Randy and uh, yourself and Teresa now, the you know, the athletic director at Simon Fraser, and Clarkie had a nice career in Laurentian as the women's pro head coach there, and he had a great Langara team with the women's there as well. And, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Gil at, at Brandon, and you guys played together a year there. And just, like, there's just awesome just a great, great time, man. And like you said, that's just the basketball stuff. Like yeah. forget these ghetto basement suite. God, I think I was oh, paying man. like $120 a that's month crazy, for that room yeah. with the no windows and, you know, like just black boxes on our TVs, GoldenEye nonstop and, oh. you know, peanut butter M&Ms and Had GoldenEye, though. Doritos and milk to goes and just like I, I got stories. We had our own language at the time, right? Like we didn't, we really people wouldn't did. even know what the hell we were talking about. Putting our source magazine covers on the walls and Slam magazine was so big then, and El music, and like it was just, it was just cool, man. Like that's, 
anybody who who grows up in that you know that those mid nineties to late in late nineties the music the basketball everything was just so it was just awesome to be around and yeah that was a great time it was a great time yeah. I, I we lost in the national championship semifinal in overtime at the buzzer pretty much you know kid hits a running bank shot over me and Jeff that was devastating man that was mm-hmm. that was devastating that was a Mm-hmm. So back to back national championships and then the national championship semifinal to Humber was, uh, but what a run, what a run for Kev and the program and super glad to be a part of it, man. I, I still, I smile every time some other dumb thing that we were doing at the time will pop into my head. <laughs> I'll text it to you and you'll laugh and then you'll send it to Jeff and then Jeff will send it to Rand yeah. and it just goes on and on, man. Like it ends up being a thread that you got to like cut out from, you know, you got to be like, okay guys, I got to go. Like I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm three hours ahead of you. Leave me alone. I'm literally like lying. <laughs> I'm lying in bed. My and my wife's asleep. I'm like the, staring at the blue light right now. Like I don't need this in my life, but I do need it. Yeah. But it's important <laughs> though that you know, like all jokes aside, like it's a staple in my program that that's what it's about. It's cool that we were good, and it's cool that you know we were at Langara, and that, that it's always fun to be successful and to win games and. But like we we don't really talk a, a whole lot about the games. Like we talk about the stories. We talk about you know we get together. Like even that, was it a year ago there for the twentieth anniversary? Like no one talked about the games. Like we talked about who was living with who and where is this guy and whatever happened to that guy. Remember Richie Bell? Like to, mm-hmm. it, you know where's Max? Like it's, oh he's still sulking in the corner somewhere. You know like it, it, we're still <laughs> busting balls. We're still. And I, and I, I try to reiterate that point as much as I can to my players. Like you guys, it's about the friendships. It's about, you know, it's about learning to, to be successful. And there's lots of great stuff that come from all sports, but the relationships I, I said to them, the other, the other practice, one of the pregames, I was like, you're going to be at this guy's wedding. He's going to be texting you when he, when he has his first son or first daughter, you know, you guys are, you guys don't even realize how close you guys are going to be for the rest of your lives. And that's, that's what this is all about. And it stems from those Langara days. Like that group was really tight and uh, you know what, it, the wins were awesome, but I think, you know, you see it from other players and other coaches, it, even ones that maybe didn't win a championship, they're still tight, you know? So it's important to have that perspective. I think that, that uh, that's what really, this is what, what it's all about. Take all that you've learned, basketball starts to unwind for you, you know? The thing about you too as a player was like you're the kind of guy that every team needed, right? It was the guy who, depending on Kev and how you guys were going, one night you might get 25 or 30 minutes, one night you might get three, but like you're still showing up at practice with a chip on your shoulder, always in good shape, willing to guard whoever was you were supposed to guard or whatever you're supposed to do, right? And and that mentality for sure is carried on for you in life. Your ability to go back and forth, east to west, east to west, figuring it out, grinding, putting your head down pursuing things, stepping out of your comfort zone. Um, that, I think that's instilled at you at a young age. And so the next phase for you, how does it become, instead of just JD, it's Coach D. Like, how does that work? You bring up a great story. And one of the reasons why I was excited to do the podcast was, mm-hmm. you know, one of the stories at Langara was, you know, like, I'm, I'm not, you know, you've had some great guests and guys that have been on the national teams and played pro and, you know, played on provincial teams and, one, all these stuff. And like, you know, it, for those kids or people that are listening, there's people that like myself who just grinded their way to playing university ball and becoming an assistant coach and becoming a coach. And in 90, 98, 99, 
I'm, I'm hanging on with Langara. Like Kevin and I are at each other's throats constantly and mostly because of me and just, you know, I'm pressing his <laughs> buttons every chance I get. And, you know, I'm hanging on to the team, really. I'm just barely playing. Randy comes to me and, you know, Randy and I are, you know, really close still. And I talk to Randy mm-hmm. probably every couple of days. And he says to me, he's like, do you want to, do you want to play more? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that'd be great. I'm barely, <laughs> I'm barely dressing over here. So anything you could do, he's like, well, look at, why don't you come to practice like half an hour, 45 minutes before practice? The gym was open back then. And, and he's like, let's, let's, let's start training. And I said, okay, great. And Randy and I kind of latched on and, started working harder and harder and he used to tell me that the goal was to be covered in sweat by the time Kevin walked in the gym for practice and I was I was down you know me I'm I'm always I'm up to go hard so that started to change how I played and started my confidence started to grow and then this cool moment for me was that Tasso who was our starting I guess kind of our starting two guard starting three lights out shooter gunner he rolls his ankle great guy great guy great guy Mm -hmm. Greek crazy yeah, confident awesome. awesome awesome teammate guys like so he a, rolled, he's he a rolled principal now you know that right yeah yeah yeah, yeah i ran yeah, into man. him that doesn't surprise me at all like and another great teammate right like yeah. would fly over a, the top rope to protect anybody on his team anytime yeah. like he <laughs> loves that about him and pull up just, in a volkswagen oh yep confidence like way beyond his yeah. abilities <laughs> which right. is you know like i mean i'm i'm probably on that scale with him that way and he rolls his ankle and he's out and someone's got to start for him and um kevin brings the whole group in and i think bees was, was the guy who wanted to be the one to tell and tells the group that you know the guy who's going to replace him in the starting lineup is, is jd and i'm like i was looking around like we had so many good players on that team i was like yeah that was like one of the coolest moments of my whole career like i that I and I we ended up I ended up starting like eleven of the last thirteen games and we went on to win a national championship. But just like those moments like that, just you know, were just so special for me as a player. And um, when I was done at Langara, this is a funny story. Um, well, you know that Kevin likes to organize a hockey game at the end of every season. I think mostly so that he can laugh at the guys that can't skate. And um, me being yeah. one. So we we play that hockey game. <laughs> Thanks, Corbs. Oh, that was nice. <laughs> so we played for about an hour, and I think I scored like I don't know, twenty-five goals or something on you guys, and just you just playing like shinny. Yeah, 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 yeah. And You're like just dangling, yeah. <laughs> so Kev comes up to me after, and he's like, "You know, you should play hockey." <laughs> Oh my god! (laughs) Just absolutely devastated, right? Like, just I just played two and a half years for this guy, and like, so. But like, look, I I wasn't a great basketball player. It's it's all right. Like, I I've come to terms with that, and I moved back to Ottawa that summer, and I'm at Ottawa U, and in the summertime, the reason why I went home was because, well, I'll be honest, I was broke. I, I, you guys always, local guys, all could go home for the summers and save up bank and. I was constantly living in BC and having to pay rent and figure it out. And I needed to go home. I needed to reset. I needed to save some money and figure out what my next move was. I actually graduated from Langara. So like I, I got my diploma there. I had nothing left really to do. I didn't really know if I was going to play university. And uh, so I'm in Ottawa again, like jumping into the summer leagues and just training and 
thinking about playing hockey, thinking about doing something different. I didn't really know what I was going to do. Emailed a couple coaches. Dave Smart's the coach at Carlton at the time. And Jack Eisman's the coach at Ottawa. Jack's email address was was on the website and Dave's wasn't. Jack gets back to me right away. You know, I'm, I, I don't have much of a resume, but I got a national championship and, you know, and the, the program there was in a rebuilding phase. And this is a great story. He, he gets me to bring my transcripts to Ottawa U. And, uh, you know, at Langara, we, you know, Teresa and Kevin, you know, we had to stay eligible, right? And, and yeah. we had to do well in school. And some of us did, some of us didn't. But we were all taught kind of that if we ever wanted to go to university, like we really needed to, you know, turn it up academically. And, you know, I did okay, you know, nothing special. So, but I really didn't think I was still in that mindset that you and I grew up with where I was just not a university student. I just, that wasn't where I was cut from. And uh, so I print it out on the printer and I bring it to him and he's folded up and he coach Eisman, who was in his last year at Ottawa, you total character. Mm. He looks at me in the eyes and he's like, so what am I going to see here? And I'm sweating. Like, I'm, I'm like, man, college, you know, high school, I never was a student. You know, I'm like, I'm like, man, I'm like, it's all right. You know, and he's like looking at me and he's eyeing me up. Right. Mm. Right now at this point, I'm like, man, this guy's seen some transcripts. Right. <laughs> so he unfolds the paper <laughs> And his eyes just like light up and he's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, well, what? He's like, there's bees on here. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> <That's> like, <laughs> like there's some C's and D's on there too. But yes, there are some bees on there. And he's like, throws his hands up in the air. He goes, I'll be right back. And I'm like, okay. He's like, I'm just going out of the registrar's office. This will be done in no time or something. And he was gone. And next thing I know, I'm, I'm at auto use. And, uh, um, I'm working out with the, I'm working out in the weight room, which was, like you remember, was a big, big thing for me. And yeah, for sure. And uh, the football team is down there training at Ottawa. There wasn't anybody on the team, to be honest. I had to recruit a couple guys that you and I played with and played against Jeffy D and our boy, Josh Bowie, um, yep. you know, had to bring some BC heads out with me. Cause like we had no team, we had no squad. Bowie messaged me about the Jordy pod. It was cool to reconnect, man. That's been one of oh, the yeah? fun parts is like out of nowhere, right? He's not like on social media. It's pretty low key. And he just out of nowhere is like message from Josh Bowie. I was like, what is so good to see his name. Yeah. Last time I yeah. heard he was firefighting or something. And somebody mm-hmm. sent me a picture of a firefighting calendar and his picture and his shirt off and his suspenders yeah. or something and <laughs> i was like that's, that's my boy Bowie." so he um so we had we had like we had nobody uh, on the team and the coach started hitting me up and started making me a little nervous you know he's like is there anybody else out there in bc who can play and i'm like oh uh, yeah for sure like i got <laughs> i got guys you know i probably try to talk you into coming and and try to talk to some of the other guys uh, our boy colin mcdonald and those guys trying to get those guys to come out to ottawa and so I'm in the weight room. We had what's called the pit, dungy weight room, and all these football guys are working out down there. And they come over to me and they're like, yo, what's your name? And I'm like, oh, I'm James. And they're like, we're going to call you Jimmy. And I'm like, okay. Like my BC guys are calling me JD, but Jimmy it is. And they're like, look, man, we saw you running on the track. We see you lifting weights. Why don't you play football? They're like, look, man, we need a DB. Did you ever play football? And I'm like, yeah, I played a little football in high school. And they're like, okay, cool, man. We got a squad. We got a team this year. We need you, man. Why don't you come play with us? And I'm like, uh, I think I'm going to do this basketball thing, but cool. So they're like, and some of those guys I'm still tight with. So they go on to win the Vanier Cup. And no the way. basketball team goes 
23 and 25, I think. I think we won three games that year. It's about the, the memories, basketball though, right? team. It's about the memories. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, like that, yeah, not my finest decision there. So then, yeah, I mean, when does coaching kick in? So the next year, I'm a senior, and it's my fifth year. Dave DeViro gets hired. Pretty cool, though. Like, did you ever actually think that you were going to have a senior year at the post-secondary level? Like, No. Yeah. No. No. I mean, that would never have crossed my mind. It's pretty dope, man. Yeah, and, like, we're talking about mm-hmm. three schools, you know, four coaches, right? Like, I, it was a grind. It was a grind. As much as the Langier mm-hmm. was, was clearly the highlight, but I had four coaches in five years, some of that due to my own doing probably, but it's, uh, no, it was amazing. Like I had a senior night, you know, my grandmother was there and my dad and got to give the flowers out to my grandma on senior night. And DeViro and I, you know, I, I could being around Kevin and the Langara team, I knew something was shifting. I knew DeViro had that same moxie, yeah. that same confidence. And I loved it right away. I'm not sure I realized it was his first year. I didn't, I did not, I never made that connection. Yep. Yeah. He came in on my yeah, senior year that's and cool. Him and I hit it off just That's about cool. as well as me and Kev did. So we were at each other. <laughs> yeah. We were at each other. He's a Humber guy. See a common theme here? Uh, yeah. I'm a Langero guy. He's a Humber guy. It was just a disaster from the from the get-go. He didn't like my puka shell necklaces. He didn't like my oh, no. bucket hats. He didn't like my... Uh, yeah, there's a lot of things he didn't like. Of course, but... this man would live in a tank top. JB, like, <laughs> if I had degrees, a shirt on at tank all. Top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's first team all shirt off, and then in the wintertime, it's a tank top, probably like a reversible, like a practice jersey. Oh, for sure. Jackson. Had a full. Yeah. I respect that. That's yeah, I respect that. Full wardrobe of reversible practice jerseys. Yeah. So <laughs> they came off quick too. <laughs> so yeah, Devere was not a fan. That's for sure. You know, Jeffy D and I were playing dazed and confused on the bus and. And, uh, yeah, he was not about our vibe, that's for sure. But, um, again, just like Kev, I could, I could tell the program heading in the right direction. And, you know, we he had a nice little recruiting class that year. We did okay. And, you know, pretty crazy memory was that we beat Queens and U of T at home for, like, in, you know, in Ontario, you play back-to-back Friday, Saturday nights. But a different, different opponents um, were in Canada West. You play the same team typically, right? So, and it was, like, the first time... Ottawa had won both games in like five years or something like that. And so like, we're on the court, like we're celebrating and we're like, geez, geez. Like we're just going off. Like, like I hit the, hit the big free throws. Like we're up to, and I make both free throws to seal it both nights to go up four. We just won a championship, right? Like it, it, it was such a big moment. Yeah. Like whenever I get together, you know me, I'm a big alumni guy. And whenever we get together with my alumni and like, I, I, I'm like, we'll sit around and beers and, scotches and maybe a Ryan ginger in there somewhere and winning both games now is is obviously it's always good to get wins but it became expected almost you know yeah. through the DeViro era and then you know into into the time where I've been coaching there was a time when like winning two games on a weekend was like the Super Bowl and it's yeah. special right it's special stuff and like I remember that weekend like it was yesterday and the program from there is you know I, as soon as I was done playing I, I wanted to see it through. Honestly, my mindset was it's still on Langara. I knew what it took to win. I could see that Dave was on the right path, and I wanted to see it through because I was done playing, and I wanted to see it through as the assistant. I had a great relationships with the players. Either I played with them or I helped recruit them. 
And um, yeah, I mean, I was an assistant there for six years and the program went from bottom, bottom, bottom. I mean, I went out to UBC with Jeffy D for a run uh, one summer and we're sitting around some UBC guys. I don't even remember who they were at the time. And they're like, yo, where do you guys play? And Jeff and I are like, oh, we play at Ottawa. And they're like, they got a team there? <laughs> and I was like, all right. All right. Yeah. Like, yeah, 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 we do. So that's where it was at the time. And, and they like, no, 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 we play football. We're just, uh, we're doing some cardio here. Yeah. We yeah. Play football. Well, we probably look like that, <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, no. And that's how I got into coaching. And, uh, how, did I know I was going to coach? There were some moments in my playing career. I, I, there, there was always just times and I, I butted heads with pretty much every coach I think I ever played for. And part of that was because I think that, I was a competitive guy and, but also I just always kind of questioned how things were being done. And especially in the nineties when, you know, we weren't really players weren't really involved and it was just do what we say and don't ask questions at that time, which is obviously completely different in our new, you know, player entitlement, uh, you know, era. But um, at the time, I just saw things that didn't really always just vibe with me, good and bad. And so I always kind of just knew that it was something that I wanted to do. I just always thought there was a better way to do things. And um, a big part of that was was just the, the level of positivity. You know, like we come out in the 90s. It's the back end of the Bobby Knight, you know, like the, the crazy, insane, negative role models in that coaching world at the time you know, guys getting benched for, you know, missing a box out or something, you know, like just stuff that was <laughs> just, that's how it was at that time. Right. And, and every coach tried to sort of emulate that. And I just always thought there was a, there was a, there's a better way to do it. And that immediately struck a chord as soon as I got to coach six years as the assistant with Dave. So that was, um, I got paid $0 uh, for six years. I grinded it out, man. Any way I could make money, worked at the bank, worked at restaurants, worked at bars. I worked any job I, that gave me a schedule where I could keep coaching. I was coaching club teams. Um, I was assisting with provincial tryouts and mm -hmm. teams. Anywhere I could get, you know, sort of that experience coaching, I was all about it. Yeah, I could totally see that being like the perfect role for you to start in. Just like taking your skills as a teammate and being like the assistant role, like just being able to learn so many more X's and O's and maybe things that you need to sharpen a little bit, but being able to be a huge part and having like the team gel and be on the same page and know that like you're there to support the guys, but also like your head coach is your guy, you know, I, like I could see that being such a, just a key time for you in your coaching career. Like had you gone and been a head coach at a high school, I'm sure you would have done well too, but just, it's just interesting. I really find this show interesting and in how things fall together for people and some people say, oh, well, it's luck or this and that, but it's like, yeah, I think you hit it the nail on the head in terms of my role. Like, you know, even as a player, you know, like you testify to that, like that I'm, 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 I'm your guy, right? Like that's, and as an mm -hmm. assistant coach, like that's kind of the, the role you have. Right. And so sliding into that was really sort of natural for me. And, you know, good cop, bad cop with DeViro is like the best thing to do in the whole world because he, you know, doesn't give a, you know, about what anybody thinks anytime, anywhere, players, it doesn't matter. Like he's going to do it his way. And I got to play off that. 
mm-hmm. you know, 10, 15 years later, we got to do with the national team, but now he can't boss me around quite as much. So I like, I even have more fun with it, but <laughs> honestly being, being an assistant is the best. <laughs> if there was full-time big pay assistant coaching jobs, like I'd be, I'd be down. You get to be like there for the players. You get to be really just support them at all, every turn and, you know, try to keep their confidence up and hang out with them and work with their, them on their games. And, you know, and um, I love my time as an assistant. And again, like friends for life, like those teams, those teams were awesome and made it to the mm-hmm. nationals twice. Had one of the best head to head battles with UBC one, one year. Casey has Casey Archibald has like 32 the game goes like 92, 88 in the first round. Great teams came up a little bit short in terms of the national championship. But again, where Dave took that program from start to finish is a championship. Like it, it was in the basement yeah. and uh, was a lot of fun. I learned a ton. Yeah, it really just set the stage for me for my, the next chapter, which was coming back to Kevin. Kevin, coming back mm-hmm. to you to work for Kev at UBC. You know, put that on the list of things I never would have expected. I want to take a moment to give a shout out to one of our major sponsors, the Parkside Brewery, located at 2731 Murray Street in Port Moody. Parkside offers great beer like the Don Pilsner, the Dusk Pale Ale, and my personal favorite, not just for the can, the Dreamboat Hazy IPA. Parkside has been very supportive of who we are. A couple of former basketball players, Sam Payne and Travis McLean, love the game and they love what we're doing. And we would really appreciate it if you would go to your way to support them. If you can't make it to the brewery or aren't comfortable, find them in any local government store and please support. Hope to see you at Parkside. When I say the words Main Street to you, what do you think of? I think of urban. I think of shops. I think of restaurants. I think of a place to go get a drink. Maybe a great burger. Relax with my wife. So many different options. Now, our good friend Shane Meyer is back. And they're located in Mount Pleasant. 3283 Main Street. Good lad clothing. One of our two sponsors. So appreciative of them. We would really appreciate it if you went out of your way. Swing by the shop. Check it out. Say what's up, grab some jeans, maybe a shirt, some men's products, grooming products for yourself, and support local. We appreciate Good Lad Clothing, and they appreciate what a hoops journey is doing. Swing by and let us know your thoughts. Thank you to Good Lad. I moved back to Vancouver, and I get a text from Kev that he wants to meet up and so the initial was like, the initial was you're just moving back to kind of restart, figure some stuff out, like just a little bit of change again. Yeah, like the the, mm. the, the group at Ottawa had gone, like I'd gone through a full recruiting class, like I'd got the group that I played right. with and the group that I recruited and now all graduated. And the new group was, I didn't have that same connection with and wasn't really sure where it was going. And, you know, Dave is an alumni. He played five years at Ottawa. And he's young enough. His family's young. I'm like, this is, I'm not getting, he's not going anywhere. And if I want to coach, maybe I got to change it up. So I don't move to Vancouver for to work for UBC. I moved there just to get back and change the scenery. And within a couple months, I meet up with Kev. And Kev and I have a conversation where at, at Ottawa, Dave had really built a reputation defensively. And uh, our teams really were strong in that department. And Kev just asked me and said, I think his quote was something like, I see the game offensively, no matter what 
if the game is going on, I see the offense and I need someone who's just strictly going to watch the defense. And again, like I was thrilled. I was thrilled. I, you know, I, my two years at UBC, we go to back to back national finals, like just an awesome time, awesome team. I just stacked, get to work with Kevin, get to work with Randy. Teresa's there again, which is like, she's working at UBC at the time. And yeah, it was a strange transition for me. And I think, you know, in terms of the crossroads, in terms of like, as a coach, it was probably one of the best times and one of the lowest times as well for me, because my niche had been being the guy, being one of the guys, but you can't walk into a team of fourth and 50 or guys, players and just be like, yo, I'm Jimmy, I'm JD, like you guys embrace me. Like I'm one of the guys, right? And they were, they weren't really having the Ontario guy whatsoever. <laughs> and it was the wrong approach. I hadn't truly embraced being a professional at that point in my life. I had, I wasn't sure that that's even what I was doing. Like I, I wasn't sure that I was on this path mm-hmm. to become a head coach. I was doing it because I love it because it kept me connected to the game and it kept me connected to the boys. And that was really why I was doing it. And I really should have at that time recognized that uh, this is a career and this is a career move. And I didn't hit it off with everybody on that team the first year. That was because I, I didn't totally understand where I was at that time, around 30 years old, um, not young. You know, you talk about being awkward in grade 10, you know, when you're 30, it's almost as awkward. Like, you're not young anymore, you know, you're still kind of trying to be down, but you're not down anymore. And like, you're just kind of falling in that weird place. Right. And, but uh, luckily that team was absolutely, Chris Dick was on that team my first year. Blaine LeBranch, who you've had on the program, Blaine and I really hit it off. Love, really enjoyed my time with Blaine and Nathan Yu and Balraj and Alex Murphy and Josh. Like it was just stacked. Like that team was really having, I think that team probably goes to the finals. Um, who else was on that team? Kyle Watson, Graham Bath, Graham Bath, another beauty. Me Bath. Um, so beauty. Rachel. Yeah, it was the, just a stacked squad. Kevin was doing a great job again. It was the and just like Langara, it was where everybody wanted to play. You know, they had the mm-hmm. the Nike gear and the War Memorial and big staff and you know working with Demand, Demand and working with JY was there at the time and so he yes. was on staff, which was cool. You know, he's always trying to. He was always trying to one up me, JY, because <laughs> he's JY, I guess. Like, so we always had fun, man. And again, Randy and I are so close that that was a chance to work together. So, you know, I think we're 56 and seven or something crazy in the two years that I'm there. Just awesome squads. And so we lose the back to back finals. And honestly, I was thinking about this today and just the podcast and work and talking about those two years. The second year, especially, was just a devastating loss. Like, just crushing we beat lost to saskatchewan in the final ubc had had a run there where we sort of got the monkey off our back by winning the first round game the year before and getting to the finals so we really felt like we had that kind of cleared and then we're back in the final carlton loses in the semi we're playing saskatchewan and we'd already beat them that year and it's in ottawa my dad's there it's me kev randy i'm like we win it like we're like mm. this is it. Like this is I'm getting my championship. You know, uh, we end up losing to you know by ten or twelve. Not a great game. Our fifth year, one of our fifth year seniors, Kyle Watson, gets ejected for 
At the time, they put in a new rule where it's like an intentional foul or something as a technical. And uh, Blaine LeBranch is playing on one foot. He's got like plantar fasciitis or something. And he sits out the first two games, I think, and plays the third on one foot and struggles. And But that, that group, both years, like really deserved to win a championship. Like they they paid their dues and they grinded it out. And that was a tough, that was tough. And mm-hmm. they was super talented team, great staff, great kids. And Kamar Burke was on that team as well, my my second year. Yeah, I mean, just didn't go our way that night. Like, really, honestly, it was just kind of like we play that game 10 times. I think we probably split with Saskatchewan. But that, that seemed to be a culmination moment. And it just shows you in sports, man. Like, you didn't, there's no culmination moments. Like, you know, I woke up that morning and the sky was it was a beautiful day. I was like, we win you know. Like, no, that has absolutely <laughs> nothing to do with the outcome of the game. But... <laughs> So I finished that season. My wife, who um, I had just started dating at that time, was moving out to BC. And I applied for two jobs that year. And again, just you know, for anybody who's out there grinding it out as an assistant. So I've, I've now coached for eight years as an assistant. Kevin gave me my first paycheck uh, my first year for 1000 bucks, And then <laughs> my second year, he'd kill me if I didn't mention this. But my second year, he pays me with a, oh man, like a 2001 Honda Civic. <laughs> the gold one? It was a silver Honda Civic. And he, he ended up with a car from Teresa's. Own, I don't know, this is part of the story. It's not interesting, yeah. but he pays me, he yeah. pays me with a, a little Honda Civic because I didn't have a car. And uh, he's probably tired of me catching the bus. And so I've got this little Honda Civic. I'm working, again, still working just whatever job I can find so that I can keep coaching. And Jenna and I, she's moving out to Vancouver. And um, we're trying to figure out what's the next stage in our life together. We're just getting started. And I'm done with coaching. I'm done. Like, I, I wasn't planning on going back to UBC. And those losses really had an impact on everybody, I think, on that staff. We really, really, really wanted to come away with that one. And, but at the same time, again, like I'd, I'd reached the end, you know, kind of like with, with, uh, with Dave and looking at Ottawa U, Dave's there 10 years and they're continuing to have big success. He's had, you know, he's at the Nationals that year as well. And, you know, he's never leaving there. And Kev's obviously solidified at UBC and looking around. I applied for, this is a great part of my story. I applied for Capilano College. I get shot down there. I came down to me and, and JY and JY got it, which is cool because he's an alumni and good, great guy, like totally deserved the job. And then uh, I applied for UNBC and I get shortlisted for that as well and ended up not getting it. And uh, Mike Rainbow ends up getting it and he ends up winning a national championship, I think that year, if I'm not mistaken, and then moves on to, mm-hmm. I think he's in at Winnipeg or Manitoba, Winnipeg, Winnipeg, I think. Yeah. So... I'm like, I'm done. Like, um, this isn't working out, right? Like, I'm, I'm not getting yeah, the jobs yeah. that I want. And, and so where the story just has like an awesome twist, is I get a call from DeViro. He's taking the McGill job. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> okay, what do I got to do, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, in, mm-hmm. I'm in Vancouver. And so the best part of the story, again, part of the, the, <laughs> the grind that is my career and is my life. So the athletic director at Ottawa, Dave, steps down, obviously, to take the McGill job. He calls everybody. He calls everybody. <laughs> everybody in, is reaching out to, you know, Sean Swords at Laurentian, who's got Ottawa connections. He's 
Scott Morrison, who's you know at uh, at Lakehead at the time, he's got some Ottawa yeah. connections. On the list goes on. Randy, he calls Randy. Everybody under the sun is offered basically this job. <laughs> Nobody wants it, <laughs> and I, I don't, I'm not sure why, but. Probably the pay was probably a big factor. I think a lot of people didn't want to take a pay cut to take that job. And <laughs> to some degree, by default, I, I end up getting shortlisted for the job. Mm-hmm. And in this really cool twist of fate, a couple of the alumni that I had coached um, in the early days with DeViro decide that they're going to sort of rally the, the alumni and rally the troops and rally and put a petition together. They're going to get me the job. They get this email together with all these signatures and all these things, and um, I end up interviewing for the job. The the athletic director kills me in the interview, kills me. Like, I'm out of there. Like, he's like asking me, I'll never forget this. He's like, have you ever handled a budget before? And I'm like, well, no, like the head coach handles the budget. So you're saying mm-hmm. you've never worked with a budget before. Never handled it. I'm like, yeah, I already answered that. And it's like, and then he just kept killing me with this. I walk out of there. There's no way I got the job. No way. I get the call the next day and that, uh, that I got hired and they offer, the offer was, it didn't matter. I would have done it for a pass mm. to the gym probably. And, um, and a civic, <laughs> I brought the civic with me and, uh, yeah, moved yeah. back to Ottawa and, uh, yeah, I've been the head coach ever since. So it's, uh, Right in that, that moment, it's like something out of, a, I don't know, some Disney movie or something where I'm done. I'm done coaching. Like it, it, and uh, I get the call. And so it just, you know, for those coaches out there grinding and applying for jobs and not getting interviews and like, you know, that big job might be right around the corner, right? So you never know what sort of life is going to throw at you. And I've been so fortunate to be the coach at Ottawa. It's been an amazing run and uh, I enjoy it every day. I get paid to, you know, do what I love. And hopefully, you know, like um, the alumni is proud of what, what we've accomplished and, and uh, you know, still still want to put that banner up there. And, you know, I'll, I'll keep I'll keep grinding until I do. And uh, but, yeah, that's that's how I got here, man. And it's uh, even just talking about it with you today is like sort of it's emotional to think about the all the different sort of roots and paths and people I've run into and people I have to thank from Kevin and DeViro and everybody and all you guys that, that uh, I played with and stuff. It's uh, pretty crazy how uh, here I am today and uh, doing all right, doing all right as a coach here. So All because of, of a beautiful game and because uh, you made the right choice to step off the ice, right? It's funny how it works and, and uh, like you are, we've had a few guests that are like the epitome of a hoops journey and you're definitely one of them and I think it's cool because you're a young dude and you've still got years ahead of you and and there's some hunger there and as we start to move towards the end of the show like producer corbs here we were not close to the end of the show what's the advice that you would give to someone who is established as a coach like yourself or you know getting there what do you do to keep a growth mindset how do you stay current with your players and what's happening around you in the game because i think it's easy to get success and feel comfortable and rest on your laurels and think, okay, well, this is going to continue to work. So it's a selfish question because I want to know the answer, but uh, what what do you do as a coach um, year in and year out to challenge yourself? Well, I'm a big growth mindset guy. I like that, that, you know, I'm constantly reading. I'm constantly, 
you know, uh, watching film on all kinds of different teams and constantly watching the game and constantly, you know, trying to continue to learn and, and, and figure this thing out. Right. Like it's, um, the game is changing. God, the game has changed, you know, probably five times since you and I played now it's, um, and I think, I think the big thing that I learned, well, two things, I think number one, for as assistant coaches that are, you know, sort of riding in the passenger seat along, you know, some of these head coaches, I definitely think it's a great idea to really think about what you would do if you became the head coach. I, I think that that gets lost. I didn't really understand that. I was like, you know, taking all the success. I was like taking credit for everything. And, you know, like, and then I'm in, you know, my first day at Ottawa and someone's like, all right, what are we going to do? And I'm like, uh, <laughs> right. Like, uh, like, uh, like I had no idea what, like, because you're there and you're working with guys and you're, but you're not like, it's totally a different beast. And I sort of locked myself in my office for almost a year and I learned more in my first mm-hmm. year. And not that I, not that Kev and Dave didn't have a big influence on me, but it was more about me just paying attention to the details and paying attention to those things. And I had to almost relearn the game from a head coach's perspective, right? Like assistant mm-hmm. coach can throw out anything, you know, and you can, you're never wrong as the assistant. It's awesome. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's the best value that an assistant coach can offer a head coach is mm-hmm. that you really want to look at things like, what would you do if you were the head coach? Like, what would you not, not what would you don't throw something at me? Like, what would you really do? Like, would you really bench that guy? Mm -hmm. Would you really start that guy? No, you wouldn't. Mm -hmm. No, you wouldn't. So don't, don't, don't Mm -hmm. bring that, you know, that doesn't help me. Right. So I wish I'd done that a little bit more. And then the other big thing was that when you have some success and I think every coach that goes through this um, and we had a nice run, you know, 2000, I guess, 13, 14, 15 there, we had a really special group with uh, Johnny and Mike and Caleb and Terry and Warren and all these guys that went on to have really great careers and great pro careers. And Johnny basketball, Johnny basketball. Yeah. I talked to him this morning. Yeah. He, uh, he's, he's a special kid. That's for sure. Wow. I mean, I ever walk into that. That's a great story. And, but I think Mitch, like to one, one to answer your question, you got to be constantly evolving because you're going to have a different team. Like you, you, there used to be this mindset where you just hammer these, you know, square pegs into round holes because it's the way that we do things. And especially when you have success, I think you start to think that it's your system or that your style of play is what's, you know, bringing you success. And I really believe that it's finding the right system and finding the right sort of mix of style of play, actions, whatever culture that fits your group the best, it's going to lead to success. And that may be different from one group to the next. But I went through that. I went, I went through like, I was like, wow, we're doing the same drills. We're running the same actions where, and all of a sudden, like, it's not working. And, I, you know, I, I got upset and I got frustrated, probably took it out on some of the guys, you know, at times where I was negative because it should have been working and it worked before. Why can't it work again? And, you know, that sort of just hit me like a ton of bricks and was like, right, it's not the same team. It's not, it's not, mm-hmm. I can keep doing this till the end of time and I'm never going to have it. That specific group of talent again, I got to figure out how this one's going to work. And I think that is the only way you can do that is, is to continue to read and continue to learn about the game clinics. Like 
things like your podcast, basketball immersion, you know, YouTube, like all the Kingsbury, all this stuff. I, I eat it all up. I'm on synergy nonstop because I'm constantly trying to figure out what's what's next. What's going to be what's going to work for this group? You want to keep your culture the same, but that identity with each group has to has to shift. And I think the only way to do that is to stay current and to stay up to date with the game. Otherwise, you're just going to you know, keep running the same stuff and you're just not going to have that success. If you kind of just stay like that, stay stale, you got to keep, you got to keep up. So, but to be honest, just like as a player, that's, that's my favorite part. Like I, I, I love the, the grind. I love the learning. I love the, the training and uh, yeah, I mean, it's still a big part of, uh, of what I do every day, every day. I, I'm constantly awesome. sending books to you and, talking about things that we saw and what we read. I think it's, it's, it's critical for a coach today. And the kids are changing so fast too, man. If you're not, I can't keep up with the music anymore. So like I got to, yeah, I got to find out the ways I'm not down anymore. That's for sure. So that, that boat <laughs> sailed a long time ago. So um, yeah, no, man, it's, it, I think any successful coach now, I think that's, that's pretty common. I think if you want to have a nice run, you gotta, you gotta keep evolving. 2014, he did an interview with the Fulcrum. He asked the same questions, exact same answers. That's consistency right there. And and for the listeners uh, who don't Corbs, know, man. yeah, this, this is, is me. This is, this is me yeah. doing doing my thing. Checking you. 2013, 2014 season, right? This is the start of the run. You go 20 and two, 18 and one, 17 and two, 16 and three. Oof. Yeah, that was. I, I walked into some. A recruiting class that had Johnny B and like it I know you maybe you, I know it's a east coast thing or an Ontario thing but the the legend about Johnny is like he it's absolutely true like he is a walk-on like he yep he like, I don't make that up like he he comes to so I get the job in June April May June Ottawa takes forever to get the hiring done and recruits yeah. are just flying out the window everyone DeViro had a nice class and they're just being coached left and right by all kinds of coaches. And so I have a ID camp of like, who's left? Like literally it's like July 10th and I have an ID camp with my staff on like, who's, who's looking for a team. Johnny comes on the court in this like undershirt, I'll say, I guess. And uh, he's probably 125 pounds. He's probably six feet, six one. And I'm like, I talked to him after the, I'm like, yeah, you know what? Like we got a, we got a red shirt, you know, type walk on opportunities for you if you're interested. He's like, yeah, I'm cool with that. Humble kid still is. And yeah, 2000 points later and the player of the year and six, seven years playing overseas now. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, the basketball gods kind of, kind of handed me one there for grinding it out with my Honda Civic and my thousand dollar paychecks and, so it's uh they, like <laughs> he just said, here's Johnny. You can have Johnny, and he can make you make you look really special. So, um, and then we were able to sign a great recruiting class my second year, which included Mike Lafferkane, who won Player of the Year the year after, and who's now my full time assistant and close friend. And um, yeah, I mean, from we had a nice run. We that was the time where you know the three ball really started to find its way into the game, and we kind of embraced that and. You know, Mitch will remember that I was I was a lights out shooter when I played, and that was a big part of my game. And (laughs) (laughs) 
I had a look from three to tie it, to send it to overtime at the BC final with Mitch. They guarded everybody on the inbounds except for me. And I turned <laughs> and I let it fire. <laughs> Got a ton of backboard on that three. That Did it was, bank? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was not close. I remember one of the dads came out of the crowd and was like, He's like, uh, I think it might have been Tasso's dad. It was like, hey, JD, JD. And I'm like, oh, man, what? And he's like, good shot, man. And I was like, what? Why? He's like, I just love that you took it. <laughs> I'm like, dude, there was like one second left on the clock. Like, there was, Mitch isn't going to talk to me for a week because I took that shot. Like, it, it, <laughs> like, it's not a good shot. Like, but thank you. Thank you. Yes, it was not close. So, yeah, our teams took on a, you know, a real identity that's uh, maybe like my, you know, my dream version of myself or as a player, like the opposite of who I was as a player. But we, we scored a ton of points and we and had a really special offensive group there and it was a lot of fun. And no story would be complete, Mitch, without the 2014 final where I am ceremoniously ejected from the only game of my career. <laughs> so that was how that run ended. I got kicked out of a 50-point loss in the national final. So that was uh, that was a special highlight that night. Uh, where, yeah, I got two T's and ejected. So and the only game in my whole career where I've been ejected was the national final in 2014. So, yeah, yeah. You and Kyle Watson. Me and Kyle Watson. Yeah. So, and then uh, luckily, you know, the career has continued to. We've had some success here, and and then I got this cool opportunity. Um, this summer to work with the Ottawa Blackjacks, which has been um, also really, really awesome. Really, really cool opportunity there to wet my beak with the professional game. So that's uh, how the full circle here. It's been exciting. It's been an exciting run, Mitch. It's a long way from that uh, head case at Langara, that's for sure. The beard I'm looking at ain't fully gray either. So you got lots of, you got lots of gray left in you, man. I can barely even, I have a goatee. I don't even know if you can tell. It's like just a little bit of orangey brown up top. That's it. All right, man. You ready to get into it? Hold on, hold on. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. I got, I got your other, most of your questions ready, but I got to, I got to think over here. Okay. Hit me, hit me with the first one. I'm not, you don't know what order it'll be. I'm, I've never seen anyone. Okay. Now I, Corb's this guy in his underwear. Uh-oh. Could put back wow. three bagels with cream cheese, like like this man, just an absolute <laughs> savage. But I've seen we've we've eaten a lot of chips together. I want to know what the chip game has been like since those times. So, what is the greatest chip for you? Oh, he's stretching Ooh. out, man, man. Those Doritos came you, out when you, you and I. Fried. Yeah, man. Those those what were they called? Some kind of crazy hot spicy Doritos. Came out when you and I were hanging out together, man. We used to crush those bags for crush those. Man, I, I'm still to my roots. I'm still a barbecue ruffles guy. Like that's my go-to. That's like me and my dad back in the day, Saturday night hockey night in Canada or something, crushing barbecue ruffles. That's that's my go-to. But as you well know, the chip game is expensive. I'm I'll, I'll go. Sour cream and onion ruffles is, is, is a solid pick. I'm, I'm a big sea salt, black pepper, some Miss Vicky's, some, you know, mixing that in there. When things are getting a little crazy, I like the party mix, you know, like you get the cheesies and the pretzels yeah. and the, the party mix is definitely a part of the rotation. 
big part of my game is the nachos. I mean, you gotta, you gotta include the nachos as part of the chip game, right? Like you can't, you can't just pretend that those aren't chips. I mean, come on, like we got, you know, so man, I, I, I got so many that I like, yeah, I'm a big chip guy. I've been that way my whole life, but I think my heart of hearts will always remain you and me on the couch with our full bag of Doritos each <laughs> post game Sundays. Right, like when the diet was at its peak, right? Like when we're really some special athletes right there. Not even, we're not even sharing a bag. Like we got our own bags, we got our Wendy's and we got our milk to chocolate, milk to go. Milk to go. And uh, yeah, it's... And not a care in the world, man. No cell, f- no cell phones to bother <laughs> us. Just forget about it. Just golden eyes. Yeah. The golden yep. days. Yep, so yeah. Who's the greatest player you've played against or with, or a few along the way? Man, I mean, Randy was pretty special. I think, you know, like I'm biased, obviously, he's a friend of mine, and and I know that I'd probably get an eye roll, but, you know, watching him tear apart the college game for two years and then have the same success at St. Effects and win two national titles there, I think, to have four national championships in five years in two different leagues and changes game completely too. I thought was really kind of a special thing that Randy did where he was like, you know, putting up nothing but buckets with us at Langara and then yeah. changed his game to a full like point guard at St. Effects and even like played defense for like three possessions at St. Effects too. So, um, you know, that bang, that, bang, that's three more than he played in two years at Langara. Uh, JD, man, you're going to have to guard your guy and Randy's guy. Is that cool? I'm like, oh, yeah, that's, that's great. So, I got you, man. Yeah, I think Randy is obviously, you know, the special player. And uh, him sure. and Kev were a great match. Like, that intensity in terms of winning were, um, yeah, he, he, he has to stand out. Obviously, I've had some, been able to coach a few guys uh, as well, but mm-hmm. uh, Randy stands out for sure. What's one thing that you've read recently or a quote that you live by or do you a quote guy or what's a book that's you've sent me a few recently we've chatted about those but either way with that or both Yeah I think the one that stands out honestly lately uh, um you and I just chat, chat, chatted about this and I think it's interesting because something I think that even though it's a little fresh in my mind is something that I I think that I'll be using The Mindful Athlete there by George Mumford really struck a chord with me I think the way that kids today with um the sports psychology side of things. And I think that just understanding how to help these kids, their anxiety and with everything that they have going on in their lives and social media and their, and their confidence levels um, just fluctuating. It was really great to read something that talked about, you know, they talk a lot about being in flow and just being in the moment and being in the game and losing sort of inhibitions a little bit while you're out there and just sort of playing and seeing the floor. Mm -hmm. I, see that so much in young players today that ego and where they were ranked and whether they were recruited and, and all these things are spinning through their minds that they're not even, they're not playing the game. They're not even, they're out there to try to prove mm-hmm. that, you know, I can shoot or I can defend or you know, I should have went here. I should have went there. And this is actually playing out in their minds while they're playing. So I thought this particular book really touched me in that it really has changed the way that I, the conversations that I'm having with some of my athletes and really sort of focusing on that. Like you, you can't see the game of basketball can't be played, you know, with blinders on, you can't be out there as an, on an individual plane trying to prove something to either even your own coach, you're going to miss a teammate that's wide open 
Mm -hmm. on what we call the one more of the extra pass, you're not going to see it. And not because you're a selfish guy, not because you're not a good player, but because you're out there in your own lane. That's something that, uh, you know, I'm really going to be using moving forward. And I think you also have to just be able to say, you know, screw it. You know, you got to just have that, you know, I think the great players are okay with missing. And, you know, Mitch, I thought you always played that way with a freedom that you were okay to miss and you were able to take the next one. I think that the great players are skilled, but there's lots of skilled guys. It's that ability to let go of the last shot and, and, and turn around and, and shoot the next one with that confidence that separates the, the good to the greater. And um, that's all sports psychology. And that's a big, a big part of my focus these days as coaches, because these kids are, they're messed up. They're, they're, they're having a hard time. And, uh, you know, as a coach, it's my job to help them sort of, reach their best self and uh, you know, they can work on their left hand forever, but if they can't embrace the moment and, and, and get rid of that ego that's in their way, um, they're never going to reach their potential as a player. And uh, I think that's important uh, for all coaches to recognize in their kids today. Do you have that in mind when you're recruiting? Do I have that in mind when I'm recruiting? Just like, does this kid have an ego? Does, is he gonna, you know, I think what's what a misconception is, 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 ego it's not like they think they're great it's that it's their ego their pride that's getting in the way of them being great and Mm -hmm. it's ego that they care about you know where they were ranked or they you know like so and so was recruited or this prep school and they played this role on the team and that they cut some coach like it's ego that's not allowing them to see that their own potential their own strengths at times i talk to my players about they focus so much on their weaknesses and that they don't even really like embrace their strengths and that it's like, it's fascinating to me that they think of their strengths as like a, as, as a negative, right? Like you get a kid who can defend all he does is focus on the fact that he can't shoot. And I'm like, but you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're a top five defender. Why? Who cares? Like, why are you mm-hmm. worrying about that? Or, you know, a shooter that can't, or, you know, maybe some kids playing out of position in these, in these He's all bent out of shape because he thinks he's a three and he should be a four. And these are the things that hold these kids back from being successful. And they could be an absolute matchup at the four, but all they want to do is worry about playing the three. And it's, mm-hmm. it's ego in a different sense. It's not ego in that I'm bringing them down to earth like old school. It's ego that they, their insecurities are what's holding them back and they're the last to figure that out. And a lot of coaches like to use the terminology, they figure it out, right? And to me, that's what figuring it out is, is that when the ego drops and you just sort of embrace what the coach has to offer you and, and a role that they have. And then obviously, you know, when they, when they manage to figure that out is when they take off in their career. And most players, you know, old guys, when they recap their career, they admit that. They're like, when I stopped worrying about everything, I started playing great, right? And that's something that uh, young people today really have a hard time with. Ketchup on macaroni? Absolutely not. What what kind of sick person puts ketchup on their macaroni? Like m- macaroni, first of all, and it, it's the cheese that's like that disgusting powder that it cannot be cheese oh. that is so yeah. fantastic that to smother it in ketchup would be disrespectful, right? Like you wouldn't be able to embrace like the cheese. Like it's, it's blasphemy to me. I can't even, that never even crossed my mind. One, one second. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. There you go. There it is. 
That might be the first time we've heard blasphemy on the on the podcast from like front to end. And that might be the first time. Okay, this is kind of like two parter. I want to hear what you have to say. What concert? Because I mean, you and I, Hard Knock Life tour. Who was it? Uh, Red Man. Red Man. Like you're eating your fries and if I Method Man, DMX and Jay Z is in bad shape right now. Man, yes, I hope he, he is. does all right. Yes, he is. Quick producer's note: We recorded this about three weeks ago, so it didn't happen yet. But obviously, rest in peace, DMX. But we're like side stage. The, the stage is like kind of like a T. Yeah, we're right beside one of the the T's, and JD's like hammering fries. And Red Man just jumps like right at us and <laughs> absolutely floors you. It's awesome. So, what concert artist, dead or alive, would you pay good money to go see and give us some top rappers of all time? All right. Well, first of all, Mitch, you know what you guys did too? You remember what you, you did? Jeffy Cotter, right? I caught up with him. <laughs> okay, up. Remember Jeffy Cotter? Yeah. Oh. A couple summers ago. Simmer. But you, I don't know why I regret this. You guys went to Beasties and Tribe, right? At yep. P&E. And for some reason, I just said, no, I didn't go. And huge regret. Anyways. 80 bucks a ticket. That was, that was the right? kicker. That was the kicker. And we were like, 80 bucks a ticket. Yeah. Looking back. <laughs> yeah. It's like was, 80 bucks a ticket? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's important, Mitch, that we tell the audience that, you know, growing, you know, when you and I were hanging out together, that, you know, I was more of an R&D guy that my, my true, Keith Sweat it's and my Jodeci and my Drew Hill yes. and yes, yes, Sleeping in My Bed remix. And, you know, oh. those are, you know, when I was driving you guys absolutely insane <laughs> with, with my slow jams and my, oh, Lord have mercy. Yes. Um, <laughs> but if I had to pick one concert, it would not be Keith Sweat. And it would not be Drew Hill, who I did see actually live in concert. It was absolutely no way. terrible. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, me and Shannon Mack, shout out to our guy, Shannon. Shannon. Mack, baby. Uh, it would definitely Let's be go. Dead or Alive. It has to be Bob Marley. Like, I think that, you know, that, that is, I've been a huge fan of his since I was in high school. And that his music, you know, even seems to have more relevance today than maybe uh, when I was younger and that would be pretty awesome, I think, to have a chance to witness that, especially today in the climate that we're in. I think he, that would be pretty special to go back in time and see Bob kill it on the well guitar. And just, yeah, so I think that's probably my number one. Now, in terms of the five rappers, okay, look, I don't want to get in, I don't want to sound like these old heads that come on here with their, you know, Eminem and their Andre 3000 and all this, like Jay-Z or Kanye, I've got, I've got a different question for you, Mitch. Because when we were hanging out, we had a deep appreciation wow. for terrible rap. In particular, the producers who tried to rap on their album. Yes. So I'm going to go with you on who are the top three worst. I'll even throw out some names for you, okay? Yeah, yeah. Jermaine, Jermaine Dupree. Dupree. Off top. Timbaland. Puff. Yep. <laughs> Maybe even, I mean, I'm going to go back a little further here. Michael Bivens and, and BBD and yes. the East Coast family here. So I'm, and I'm, I'm sure you're going to think of a couple other classic ones where we would just absolutely howl over these guys who would try to jump in on their albums and just drop some absolute trash. <laughs> and I thought you would appreciate that question. I've been thinking about that one for a long time because I, I have distinct because you're a, you're a lyric guy, right? Like 
hundred percent. You, you dive deep and you know me, I'm a bust of rhymes guy. Like I'm just, I like to bop, you know, let's go, you know, yeah. you're, you're like into the lyrics. So 100%. because these lyrics were so awful, who's number one, who's number one for you? Who's the worst rapper producer to jump in on a track? Yeah. It's gotta be Jermaine Dupri. <laughs> I had him at the top of my list. Yes. Just no business being out there whatsoever. Right. Right. Like just, yeah, he, he, he is for sure. Should I plug in like a Ooh, verse in right some... now? Like when the episode publish, just throw it, throw it in there. All time rapper. I mean, what does it come down to? Biggie, Nas, Tupac, Eminem, Grand Pooba. I mean, let's be honest. Grand Pooba is probably one of the most underrated rappers of all time. Um, Ooh, I like it. So who's number one? I have to go Biggie, I think. Tupac was too angry for me, but I mean, his lyrics are, his message obviously has always been at the top, but I think I go Biggie. I think Biggie, just the combination of being able to drop lyrics and, you know, get a club going at the same time. I think he could, he could diversify a little bit better. And I think that probably puts sets him apart. Well done. He made it. He made it seem at the top of the show. Court was like he didn't have anything ready. You know he had ready. Come on, man. <laughs> Guy's doing an interview with a pen in his hand. You know he's ready. Um, <laughs> who's been the most important people in your life? I mean, you named a lot of mentors, friends, teammates. Um, but who's been the glue? Well, I think my dad is at the top of the list. Um, I think the main thing that I appreciate from my dad, other than obviously driving driving me around as a kid and being my biggest fan and uh, is really just his ability to be patient with me as I figured my way. You know, he never really pushed me. You know, my path is, you know, you and I were, you know, we like to kid around, but we were, you know, we, at times we've been, you know, we've been lost out there a little bit and maybe not on the best paths in our, you know, in our terms of where we were going and what we were doing and how serious we were taking our school and and maybe partying a little bit too much here and there and just whatever it was at the time we weren't, you know, this has not been a straight line for, you know, a lot of us out there. And, and my dad just sort of always said he'd figure it out. He's going to figure it out and hmm. never pushed me in any way. And that was that patience is something that I, I try to take with my own kids and try to take with my own players and that, uh, you know, they'll figure it out. Like they're, they're most of these, you know, they're good kids and by pushing them one way or the other, you know, sometimes you, you think you're doing the right thing, but sometimes I think you, you make the situation worse. And I just always appreciated my dad for having that patience with me and, and just supporting me, right? Like, it's not easy to support an assistant coach who's making $1,000 a year, uh, grinding it out and, you know, living in basement suites and, uh, you know, bartending and doing whatever it took. There wasn't a career path there. And, you know, I, I hope he thinks I figured it out. And, and then obviously the other person, well, you know, all the coaches and, and mentors that I've had, and you know, there's so many from not only Dave and Kev, but all the great, um, you know, old heads that are out there from Mike Cates to Peter Campbell to, man, there's so many, John Dora, Concordia, these, these guys that uh, Joe Razzo at McMaster, these guys, when I was an assistant, they embraced me. I don't know why, uh, you know, I was grinding it out. Maybe they just appreciated the grind, but in 2014, I was uh, fortunate enough for 2013, I was won the National Coach of the Year Award and then Peter Campbell and John Doerr, you know, presented it to me at the at the awards banquet and and uh, it was special, just like those guys were always, 
you know, were put an arm around me when I was an assistant and always just sort of, and I, I tried to do that when I'm out there and remember that, you know, there was a different game then. It was a lot, coaches were a lot <laughs> more social, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, so Which there's something, so, right? Yeah. Like it's interesting, like just good people. Right. And so like, if you're playing against Concordia, you're both trying to keep each other's ass, but like at the end of the day, we can't just, we can't just chat after, or, you know yeah. what I mean? We can't be civil. Like why? My favorite story, Peter Campbell, we're at Laurier yeah. with, coaching with the Bureau and uh, Alex Duford, a BC kid who barely played for our program, banks a three from dead center, like not center court, but like top of the key, dead straight bank three to win the game. I'm in, I'm in Waterloo with Dave and we're shaking hands and I'm like, oh man, we're supposed to get, you know, we're supposed to go out with coach after the game and now we win this way. He's going to be, going to be salty, you know, like, and uh, I shake his hand at the end of the line and I'm like, are we still good for tonight? And he was like, what? Yeah, of course we are. He's like, I played great tonight. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm ready to go. <laughs> you know, that, yeah. you know, those guys had an impact on me and just having that perspective i think i try to do that i try to remember it when we win and i try to remember it when we do lose that you know to make sure that i'm respectful and smile and kept thought us all that stuff too right like never be disrespectful and never give the other team a reason was a big big lesson from kevin but like just remember that when you're winning you know that that they're not happy about losing and then when you lose mm-hmm. you got to turn around and respect that that they they were respectful to you and and obviously, like, you know, the last person would be in his, I mean, it's kind of, I don't know if this is bro code or whatever, but it's like, my wife has been huge for me. Uh, Dude, um, you literally said that your wife came out to Vancouver to like start to work the next phase of your life and then packed up her life right back with you. I mean, oh man. Yeah. She reminds me. bro code, man. Yeah. We'd yeah. still be in Vancouver. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, every time the weather is <laughs> minus 40 here. Um, but, um, no, I mean, meeting her and, and, uh, the timing and everything, and she's been with the kids and, you know, supporting me and, and being on the road, obviously it's, it's, uh, coaches, uh, wife is, is not easy. And, um, but at the same time, like it, she, it, it came around at the right time. And, um, like I said, like you and I, and a lot of young guys out there, you know, we were different people when we were young and sometimes it takes a some special people in your life to sort of make you aware of that and that it's time to change and time to grow up and, and maybe try and time to contribute and do something special. And, uh, without Jenna, like that's, that's not happening. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's probably some people out there who are still surprised that it happened, but, uh, um, yeah, those are the people that, uh, that, uh, got me here. And, uh, I'm, I'm fortunate. I'm really fortunate to have all those people in my life. Great episode, man. But you know, you've listened to a few and the last one we always ask is, You've still got years left, right? You're you're still in the thick of it. You know, coaching is still going to be your passion for a long time. But up until this point, if you do it all again, you know, you would what? You know what? I I, I battle with this one. Um, you know, I think that anybody that knows me well knows I'm always reading something. I'm always trying to look at a different way of doing stuff. And I think the thing that jumped out to me would be, I mean, I think this is probably something you probably hear every time is that like the academic side, I definitely would have. From high school to university, I definitely would have approached that completely differently. I would have taken it a lot more seriously. I don't think it would have taken a significant amount of effort 
more than what I was already doing. And it, the, the payoff, you know, I would have loved to have done a degree in human kinetics or coaching or, you know, something along those lines. But, you know, whenever I go down that route, my wife is like the first to remind me that, yeah, maybe, you know, maybe, but maybe, you know, the grind and maybe your social life and your friends and your alumni that helped you get the job and, you know, buying a beer for someone and, you know, uh, along the way and, you know, those relationships that you build, maybe that's exactly why you are where you are today. And on on that note, like, honestly, like, because those things ended up paying paying it back in dividends from the alumni, you know, sort of putting together, you know, a petition to get me the job. Um, I'm not going to lie. There was a few beers there in between with those guys and uh, I could have been studying and could have been maybe doing some other things, but maybe it came full circle for me there and that maybe there's some things that are more important than, you know, a grade and that, you know, those relationships that you're able to build. So while I'd like to think maybe I would take school a little bit more seriously, I think that would be, you know, a little bit, I don't want to insult the way that I got here either. Right. So it's like things happen for a reason and I was able to pull it, pull it together and get here maybe because of the way I did things. But in terms of like young coaches out there, I think the one thing that jumps to my mind though, is that take it professional, take it seriously, you know, have fun with it, embrace it. But there are careers in coaching and then it's growing every day with the 905s, the Raptors, the CEBL, um, basketball is an exploding sport in, in this country. And obviously there's so much awesome stuff going on and treated like a profession. I think I wish I had learned that, uh, a little sooner and in particular my time at UBC. Um, but even at the end at Ottawa, I think that if you treat this like a profession, there's some real awesome, amazing opportunities in the game today. And I think that that's something that I wish that I had embraced. I wish I'd seen it as a career a lot sooner. Mm. And that's something that I would, mm. that, uh, it wasn't obvious at the time, but looking back at something that I, that, uh, I would have done probably a little bit differently. I still would have taken that shot, Mitch. I still would have taken that buzzer, man. And I, I know you're, I know you want that inbounds back. What was his name? Wayne, Wayne Jones. Was that his name? Wayne Jones, yeah. God, damn, he gave me the business that night. Oh my god. Oh man, he was pretty good. He was good. I mean, yeah. He went left, and I was still forcing Randy right. I don't know. I got confused or something, and couldn't figure out my right from left. But I mean, don't do I get to answer the question about the goat? Is that is that on the list? Like who's Who's the goat? Who's the greatest I mean, of all time? Is that for the people who know you? I thought it'd be really obvious, but like, <laughs> by all means, okay, the well, floor is yours, sir. Explicate. First of all, you can't do Space Jam two, like, and then not recognize that Michael's the goat. Like, it's not even like you at least have to do a different movie. Like, you can't wear his number. And then like sign the Nike deal and then do Space Jam and then just be like, like you just ride it. Like you're, there's no LeBron without Michael. I mean, let's be honest. Like it, it, there's more to Michael than, first of all, he has the banners and he has the, he has the rings and he has the MVPs. But I mean, Mitch, anybody that grew up in, in that era, like he, he's, he, there's more to it than just the awards. He, there is no NBA. The league isn't as big as it is today if it's not for him. So you have to factor that in. And to me, that's what it's all about. Like it, he 
inspired. He's like, we're all playing ball because of him. And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and I mean, Nick Van Exel and, and Eddie Jones uh, are, are close uh, second and third. Um, you know, I mean, then LeBron maybe. <laughs> uh, Corbin, I don't know if Mitch told you, but one of the, um, how, what is it? Like traditions, I guess, Mitch, that we would have would be some of the most epic, epic debates that have ever <laughs> solved nothing. Um, but, uh, what was it? Michael Finley or Eddie Jones, Jones. Uh, Roy Jones against Mike Tyson, which was, you know, kind of an interesting twist that we, mm-hmm. Finley, but careful. So is Antoine Walker, Jones. do we like Antoine Walker? Do we not like Antoine Walker? You know, like, so, I mean, <laughs> We liked him when he once he got started getting banned from casinos and stuff. That's when we liked, liked Antoine Walker. Yeah. <laughs> it's been super fun, selfishly learning lots, reconnecting with people, and uh, yeah, you nailed it on the head. That's the exact reason why we do what we do, man. Corbs and I will get offline with you, and then we'll chat about this episode forever and like just all the things that we're learning about people, like yeah. tomorrow. Yeah, and uh, yeah, man, it's been a fun adventure, and we want to keep it going. And we are honored that you'd be able to join us, and because it's you know. We have a heavy BC fan base, weird to say fan base, but also like want to connect with as many people across Canada that we can too, because um, there are so many more stories to share and yours is a great one of hard work determination. And and we, we know that you've got great years ahead of you looking forward to the day that I get to watch another uh, CISU sport final. Now it's called Um, hopefully you can stay in the game and um, you know what? And at the end of the day, like you said, whether that banner comes through your program or not, um, you've created memories and hoops journeys for guys that you had yourself. And that's bigger than any win you could ever have. And uh, those memories that you're creating for the young men that you get to coach is, is phenomenal. And, and um, you know, Corbin and I wish you nothing but success. And we'll definitely keep in touch and let you know who uh, isn't committed to UBC out here for... Uh... <laughs> The top, yeah. the topic. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate your insight there, Mitch. You always give it to me straight on those kids. You're just a straight. Yeah. No, <laughs> no. But I'd like. <laughs> okay. I've seen your team play. I know what you're like. I'm not gonna. Sit, and then like, what you're gonna text me in November? Be like, yo, man, really? You sent me this guy. <laughs> You'd be surprised. Yeah. You'd be surprised what coaches get a blind eye sometimes yeah. for their kids, but. Uh, Oh, I mean, like I said, it's been a lot of fun, guys. And Mitch, obviously, I'll talk to you soon. And it's uh, been a lot of fun. You bet, brother. It was fun, man. And we will keep in touch. Great episode. Everybody like and subscribe. Check it out. Head over to iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. You know, send us five stars. Send us a comment. Send us an email. Send us a question. Shout out to our sponsors, Gillette Clothing and Parkside Brewery. And we will see you on the next episode. James, can you do us a favor? Uh, can you just, uh, that, that little review of our podcast, can you put that on uh, iTunes for us? Sure. <laughs> no, I'm just <laughs> screwing around.
I'll put something out there for you guys. Why did, you, did I did I go a little too far or what? No, like, that was that was no, the was best awesome. review we could get. I actually was oh, thinking okay. like Cor- Corbs. I was thinking like we could cold intro it that way, but I was thinking, thinking the exact same thing. Yeah, like yeah. that's the intro yeah. and like yeah.